This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. They say mayflies live for just a single day. Cherry blossoms bloom for only 72 hours. And now here's another one along those lines. The good vibes from a weekend sometimes last half a day. How do you deal with that? I guess it comes down to whether you're what I would call a Starsky or a Hutch. Starsky was freewheeling, running on emotion, always willing to say, hey, whatever, it'll all work out. Hutch, if you recall, was more rational, methodical, process-oriented, a little more Bert than Ernie, if you want to put it in a Sesame Street parlance. So if you're a Hutch or a Bert, I know, it looks bad for the Mets right now, but for you Starskys and Ernies, follow me to freedom. Let's stay Pete Alonzo level positive and have ourselves a podcast with a snappy little theme song. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now. Here's Josh Lewin. Scootily down. Seven back in the lost column with 17 to play. But wait, fellow Starskis, wasn't that 2007 in reverse? Maybe this year the Mets will be the ones who make the move. Monday, the Braves and Phillies moved up by not playing. The Mets got drilled, and here we are. Josh Lewin with you. We mentioned it's going to be an uphill climb. We should mention it was the Cardinals that came in and shut the Mets out in the rain. The Cardinals... Used to fan the flames of Mets fans, but uh, I know it's the Braves or the Yankees now. And we'll, we'll stroll down that patch of memory lane coming up about when the Cardinals were the hated enemy. But yeah, a recap of Monday's loss. We'll look deeper into the Cardinals' story to history and how it ties in with the Mets. Let's start with some leftover cool notes from Sunday night, just so you're not all depressed. And get them out of the fridge before they expire. As of Sunday night, we counted 10 straight games with at least one Mets home run. That extended the longest team streak of the year. Lindor, of course, the breakout star right down to the flexing at home plate when he hit that third home run. He had a 5-RBI night, even had a walk. 14th player in Mets history to hit three home runs in a game. Home run from both sides of the plate. And this time it was off three different pitchers and three different kinds of pitches. Fastball, change, and curve. When Lindor crushed that Shane Green 2-0 fastball for that third home run, looked a lot like his grand slam off the same guy during Game 2 of the 2017 Division Series. I had forgotten about that. Mets with 10 runs, 7 runs, 7 runs against the Yankees. They led the National League at that point with 76 runs scored in September. Some of that would have been nice Monday night. The Mets gaining no ground on Atlanta over the weekend, but the blessing is the race for that second wild card is comprised of a group very much like the Mets, tripping over their shoes every time it's time to make a run and pull away. The Padres are captains of this group, since they have won just eight of their last 28. The Reds have won six of their last 18. If you go with everybody's last 10 games in this group of mediocres, San Diego's 3-7, and seven, Cincinnati 4-6, and six, Cardinals 5-5, five and five, Mets 5-5, five and five, Philly 3-7. and seven. The Phillies had allowed three home runs on an 0-2 count all year. 
and then just somehow gave up five of those bad boys in one weekend to the Rockies. The Rockies, who had been 18-50 and 50 on the road. Two of those 0-2 pitch home runs were served up in key moments to number eight hitters. Now, that is some spectacularly creative implosion. I'd never even thought of that one before, and I've been a Mets fan since 1980. The problem with the wild card race is while the Mets are now in it, there's a lot of teams to climb over and not a lot of time to do it. 17 games left. It becomes more doable if Lindor and Baez play like they did this past weekend. So, as we turn the page and welcome the Cardinals to City Field, a couple of items here, because fans of a certain age may not understand the depth of this rivalry. These teams used to be in the same division. In the mid-80s, they were always within a few games of each other at the top. The Cardinals squeaked things out in 85. The Mets ran away in 86. Cardinals squeaked things out in 87. Mets back on top in 88. And one of the curious pieces of the rivalry, a shock jock morning DJ in St. Louis is a guy that hired an airplane to trail a banner over Bush Stadium that read the Mets are pond scum, which for some reason these days doesn't seem like a big deal at all. But David Letterman picked up on it, put it on late night. The two cities started going back and forth crazily at each other. The players didn't like each other. There was a Keith Hernandez angle. A former Cardinal traded out of town by Whitey Herzog, who had decided he didn't like Keith Hernandez, which seems impossible. But uh, yeah, it was an FM DJ named J.C. Corcoran at the center of the whole deal for a year or two. Really weird. It's not like it was Howard Stern on WNBC. It was some Midwest guy who is, as of now, like the rest of us, just doing podcasts. Had been doing a morning show remotely from Florida the past five years until, reportedly, the station disabled his remote access without telling him the show had been canceled. That, according to a scathing farewell letter he posted on Facebook. So that's the derivation of pond scum. But actually, if you want to go all the way back to the Mets' first year, I guess that's where the rivalry really started. First ever Mets game was against the Cardinals and Stan Musial and Bill White and Kurt Flood. 11-4 St. Louis. Mets went on to lose the next eight games to start that first season. And then it got worse. But hop ahead to 1973. It was the Cardinals who the Mets beat to clinch a trip to the playoffs and ultimately the World Series. 23 years after that, the two teams matched up in a very famous NLCS. And in between, both teams have been managed by Joe Torre. So there's that. But in 06, the heavily favored Mets had home field advantage. Back and forth series went seven games. And you know the sad ending here. Yadier Molina hit a two-run homer in the top of the ninth. Put the Cardinals up 3-1. to one. Bottom of the ninth, Adam Wainwright pitching. He would do so again to start this particular series. But as I'm sure you've been told or remember, Bases loaded, Beltron up, Wainwright getting ahead 0-2, seals the deal by striking him out on a killer curveball. Cardinals went on to win the World Series that year, their first since 82. A series of Mets should have been in, and I think they would have crushed the Tigers too, just like the Cardinals did. As long as we're on that subject, let me shine a little light on that famous ninth inning. It gets talked about a lot, but hardly ever in really good detail. First, the top of the ninth. The two-run homer from a then-light-hitting catcher to carry his team past the Mets in a pivotal game of the NLDS in Queens. That was done in 1998 as well by Mike Sosha in the role of Yadi Molina. Same scenario off Doc Gooden. Two-run homer in top of the ninth. That was game four. Uh, when the Dodgers eventually won that game, they squared the series at two instead of the Mets going up three to one. But uh, yeah, in 06, it was Yadi off the former Notre Damer, Aaron Heilman. 
The Mets did threaten, of course, in the bottom of the ninth, but Cliff Floyd called out on strikes all before Beltron was. The other out was a rocket to center field by Jose Reyes with two men on. Eventually, bases loaded two out for Beltron, who had played like an MVP much of the year, although only six home runs after the All-Star break. Remember, he lost to Ryan Howard in the home run derby, and there were whispers that he had lost his swing for a while after that. Pitching staff had to overcome a bunch of injuries that September and October, including those to Pedro Martinez. You had uh, Oliver Perez, 3-13 during the regular season, but there he was holding St. Louis to the one run in six innings in Game 7. What's sadly ironic is the theme song for the Mets that year, you might recall, was Taking Care of Business. And it's just when it was time to actually do that to make the World Series, they did not. Bachman-Turner underdrive. Tony La Russa has said that the underrated aspect of the infamous Wainwright versus Beltron showdown after Paul LaDuca walked to load him up, La Russa wanted pitching coach Dave Duncan to go to the mound, settle Wainwright down. And Dave Duncan told La Russa, no, Yachty's got it. Molina went to the mound all alone, told Wainwright first pitch sinker. Then once he got back to home plate, he changed his mind. He called for a changeup instead. Very unorthodox, but Beltron was completely surprised by it, took strike one, Next pitch, not wanting to get down 0-2, foul ball. And that is what set up the 0-2 curve that is still talked about to this day. The savvy of a catcher in his early 20s. The Daily News headline had been written just in case the Mets won. Miracle with an exclamation point. Endy's amazing grab saves Game 7, lifts Mets into series. But of course, that actually did not happen. I know we've got the Monday game to recap, but let me close this segment by mentioning a few guys with Mets-Cardinals crossover tie-ins besides Keith Hernandez, who was on the cover of Sports Illustrated one year as a Cardinal with the caption, who is Keith Hernandez and what is he doing hitting 344? Current Cardinals broadcaster Ricky Horton is a New York native and a great guy. I need to mention that in 1984, he was pitching a no-hitter when a PR stunt went horribly wrong in San Diego and delayed the game. Remember the mascot, the famous chicken? He did a thing that night where he was riding a horse while Indiana Jones music played, and the horse got spooked, wouldn't leave the field. It took like six, seven minutes to get the horse to finally get off the field. As soon as that happened, Kevin McReynolds doubles to end the no-hitter. A more famous Cardinal pitcher would, of course, be a first ballot of Hall of Famer. That's Bob Gibson. You look back to his 1968 season, obviously, and his ERA jumped up a full run every year, three straight years. That sounds awful, right? But no, he went from that 1.12 to 2.18 to 3.1. Oh, no, 23-7 and seven in 1970, 300 innings, and uh, yeah, 3.1 ERA. Fire the bum. You look at uh, what he did with the Mets, and you're saying, wait a minute, Bob Gibson was with the Mets? Yeah, uh, he was for a year. He was hired as the team's attitude coach. He was Donnie Stevenson before Pete Alonso invented Donnie Stevenson. Bob Gibson, at one point in the World Series when he played uh, eight consecutive complete games in the World Series, including a 17-strikeout game against the Tigers in the 68 World Series. Since we're going old-timers, one last one for you. Everybody likes talking about Stan the Man, Stan Musial if they're of a certain age. Consistently fantastic every year. Played all 22 of his big league seasons in St. Louis. Never a shred of controversy. Loyal to the Cardinals till the day he died. Loyal to his wife, having been married 72 years before she passed away. Never had the flair of a mantle or maze, but 
331 hitter, 475 home runs, and somehow had exactly as many hits at home as he had on the road in his career. I love that note, 1,815 apiece. I will say this about the Cardinals. Over the last 25, even 45 years, there's been almost an ocean tide certainty about those guys. You never doubt the fact the tide will come in and will go out. You never doubt the Cardinals will be competitive every single year. I used to make the pop culture comparison when I was in the radio booth. There's an episode of Family Guy where Brian loses his girlfriend to some guy named Derek, who is simply perfect at everything, aspiring surgeon, randomly saves people from injury, speaks fluent Mandarin Chinese, great-looking guy. It's a running gag all episode. Derek is simply too good to be true at every level. And from Brian's perspective, it is annoying as hell. The Cardinals of the last 25 seasons easy have been a collective Derek to the Mets' Brian the dog. Because let's define a bad major league season. Can we all agree that fewer than 70 wins is bad? 69 and 93 or something like that. Not a brutal season like 60 and 102, but fewer than 70 wins in a non-strike season. In the last 94 years, the number of those seasons Cardinal fans have suffered through is two. One really bad year every 47 seasons. 1955 was a clunker. 68 and 86, not horrible, by the way. It's 18 games under 500, 444 baseball. Then in 1978, Vern Rapp and Ken Boyer, the managers, they were 69 and 93. That's pretty bad. Since then, every year they've been reasonably competitive. Since the turn of the century, one losing season out of 20. All right, finally, let's get to the game here between Methuselah and Betty White. You had a 41-year-old Rich Hill against a 40-year-old Adam Wainwright. First matchup of 40-something starters since R.A. Dickey and Bartolo Colon in 2015. These guys combining for 33 major league seasons, about 750 games, about 3,500 innings, about 200 million bucks in career earnings. And they also figured to combine for about 60 curveballs between them in this game, two of the top five in curveball usage in all of baseball. Wainwright entered the Monday game seven strikeouts away from 2,000 for his career. Wouldn't quite get it on this night, but he's had a, a far more straightforward career than Rich Hill. Debuted with the Cardinals in 05, been with him ever since. Hill, meantime, has played for 13 organizations and dealt with more injuries than Kenny from South Park. I picture Rich Hill as a baseball hobo with a handkerchief tied around a stick containing his belongings. He's eating cans of baked beans and a railroad car. The only previous occasion these two had pitched against each other was back in 2008 when Hill was with the Cubs and he walked four of the six batters he faced. He was pulled from that game and sent to the minors not to return until the following year. Then in spring training of 2010, these guys were actually teammates. It was Hill in St. Louis's camp on a minor league deal. He pitched for AAA for a couple months, left to sign with the Red Sox who eventually brought him up. Cardinals wanted to turn Hill into a sinker-slider guy, and Hill has said it's a good lesson for a lot of people out there. You can't mold everybody into being the same hitter or the same pitcher. Sometimes that's the easy way for coaches, but that is definitely not the way I would go about coaching or trying to teach guys how to be successful. That is food for thought. Anyway, Hill got out of a jam early, as did Wainwright in the first inning. Uh, Mets actually loaded the bases before Wainwright struck out Jeff McNeil on three pitches. Speaking of that, striking out a guy on three pitches, would you believe Rich Hill has done that more often this year than Max Scherzer, Walker Bueller, and Garrett Cole, to name a few? That is efficiency, and I love it. If you're ahead 0-2, 
Why bounce one on purpose? Go strike the guy out by throwing on pitch number three, which you threw him on pitch number two. Back to McNeil for a sec. What a frustrating season for the squirrel. Defensively, too. He's ranked 20th out of 21 second baseman, according to Fangraphs. Defensively, playing left field, he's made three errors in the last week. Offensively, he and Dom Smith both have the same OPS now of 664. Last year, it was 836 for Jeff. It was 993 for Dom. And Robinson Cano comes off his suspension next year. Mets owe him two more years at $40 million. Turns 39 next month. Do the Mets just release him? Do they bring him to spring training and see what he's got left? Or are the Mets going to make a run to sign Baez to continue on here? Lots to figure out here, and a lot of that affects Jeff McNeil. Anyway, Cardinals would score once in the second, once in the third, once in the fifth. Paul Goldschmidt with two of the three RBIs, including his 25th home run of the year. Still not a huge offensive juggernaut is St. Louis, but if you look at the Mets lineup, even with this September surge, the highest batting average they had in their starting lineup was Baez at 262. The Cardinals had four guys better than that, including Edmund Sosa. I mean, Edmund Sosa's hitting 276. I had no idea about that until I, I looked it up. But uh, the Mets did have a shot here. Down 3 nothing into the bottom of the eighth. Wainwright was out by then. And you're thinking, okay, finally they're going to get this done in the rain. Wainwright's out of there. He's going to still be doing this to the Mets when he's 73 years old. But here is Alex Reyes. Lindor walks. Conforto singles him to third. Alonzo, though, strikes out in that steady rain. Baez does, too. McNeil, remember when he used to never strike out? He struck out. First and third, nobody out. They still didn't score. And everybody's got wet hair. Ninth inning, U-G-L-Y. You ain't got no alibi. You ugly. Seven straight Cardinal base runners at one point. Four runs tacked on. So your final would end up being seven to nothing. Mets finish up 0 for 7 with runners in scoring position. They strand 9. <sighs> After the game, we heard from Luis Rojas. Hey, Luis. You know, in that eighth inning, you got the first runners on against Reyes. What uh, what was he able to do when he found it there to, to get those next three guys the way he did? Well, Reyes, Reyes got uh, special stuff, Steve, but, you know, the command is the thing that gets him in trouble. We saw it walking in more leading on the inning, uh, you know, then guys are ready to hit anyways, and that's when uh, Conforto gets the pitch and he drives it through the hole uh, for the first and third. But, I mean, the stuff, uh, I believe, played uh, to come back, right? He can strike out uh, batters, but uh, it's uh, good stuff to do. Uh, I believe he got a, got a pitch uh, that could have been low, uh, below the zone, and he got, he got the call. Those things are going to help him and going to build some momentum for him, and he got – uh, Pete Alonso. So then he just kind of started getting higher, and then then he got the next two batters right. And so uh, <clears throat> our momentum got stopped a little bit there. Uh, you know, we we thought we we're you know like we've done uh, a lot of times in the past. We we're gonna come back and uh, close it, close the gap a little bit, uh, or tie the score, or take uh, take the lead. The, you know, the way we can take a bat a bats in close situation, and the way we can uh, build some momentum out of. Out of nowhere, just like that. So not the case tonight. Uh, last six outs, be strikeouts, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean you got to attribute to um, Alex Reyes stuff, just bouncing back and to get the guys out. All right, there's the skipper Wainwright over Hill. Mets three and a half games back in the wild card, five and a half games back in the NL East. So now we look at tonight. The Cardinals go with the righty Jake Woodford from the Woodford Reserve up against Marcus Stroman. Two point eight seven ERA for Marcus. 
Wednesday's game tomorrow is going to be John Lester, the veteran, against the righty Tyler McGill, who's coming off a great one. All right, now what you wanted Monday night. Hell of a hangover from the excitement of Sunday, right? At least there's always this funky, fresh music at the end of the show. Our Mets in the Morning house band on keyboards, Bruce Bereni. Slapping to bass, it is Hall of Famer Eddie Murray. Wow, how about that? The horn section is Todd Frazier. And on drums, ladies and gentlemen, Victor Zambrano. This is Josh Lewin. Appreciate you listening. You can find me on Twitter if you have a complaint or a comment, maybe even a compliment. Who knows? Uh, I'm at Josh Lewin Stuff. Make sure you are subscribing to this little podcast, please. Get us on iTunes or Spotify, uh, Odyssey, obviously. We're everywhere. We are the wind. Talk to you soon. Keep the faith. Starskies. See ya.